Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. So this week we are, we are kicking off our values portion of our vision series. So last week we talked about our vision statement, and our vision statement is simple, it's easy to remember. Who remembers it? Love God, love people, inspire hope. If you said that, you are correct. If you didn't say that, you may have gotten partial credit for your partially correct answer. Who knows? Um, Love God, love people, and inspire hope. We take that from the great commandment, which is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are like the big ones that we need to look out for both our neighbor and to love God himself. And through those actions, we can inspire hope in the world around us. Now... This week, we're kicking off our values portion. So we're covering two values. You get a two-for-one special today. We got two values and only one sermon. How awesome is that? It's great. It's great. Just trust me, it's great. Okay, so our first value, it's going to be on the screen. It's continual prayer. Our statement, we have a statement that comes along with each and every one of these values. And our statement that goes along with continual prayer is this. We don't know it all, so we talk to the one who does. Simple, right? Like, we don't know it all, so we talk to the one who does. We're, we're not, we don't have all the answers in the universe. God created the universe. He's got some answers, so we're going to talk to him about it, because he, he's got it covered for us. Now, this value of, of continual prayer has come out of, like, a lot of different things, but I want to go through both parts of it. We see people talk to God constantly, and boiled down, prayer is talking to God. It's that simple. It's a conversation with God. That's all it is. We see Moses pray. We see Jesus pray. We see Paul pray. We see people pray all the time. It it seems like normal behavior for people in the Bible who are doing things for God that they pray to God. So we should talk to him every once in a while or maybe continually, constantly. 1 Thessalonians tells us this in chapter 5. It says, and this is the whole verse. I did not trim it down. Never stop praying. It's that simple. Never stop praying. Keep the lines of communication open with God all the time. All the time. It's easy to go throughout the day and forget God's, God's there because we don't see him. If you do, awesome. Um, awesome, but... Uh, I've never seen God, and very few people in the, the story of the Bible saw him outside of the form of Jesus, okay? So we haven't seen him, but we still talk to him. We still continually bring our, our prayers, our, our, our petitions, our needs, our thanksgiving, our celebration, our, our questions before God himself. He's the one with all the answers. And, and here's the thing. Prayer should be continual because there's no cap on it. It's not like God has five minutes for you per day and there's no other options. Right? If, if we believe in an omnipresent God an all, and an all-powerful God, certainly he has time and the ears to hear us pray. In fact, he wants us to. He wants us to pray to him constantly to hear that conversation back and forth, to listen for his voice as he speaks. 
Now think about this. Communication is essential to any good relationship, correct? Yes, okay, sweet. All right, we're on the same page here. So communication is so, so important. So in our marriage, Hannah and I's marriage, um, there's this funny thing that happens all the time. And it is that one of us, we're, okay, so let me put some backstory to this. We are both pastors. We both work at the same location. We drive separately because we constantly need uh, to go to appointments or meetings or things like that. We've got different stuff going on, so we drive separately. And all the time this happens. One of us gets really motivated, and we're like, we're really just doing good work right now. We're like in it. We're like ready to go. And so we're like, hey, I'm going to work a little late today because I've got, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the zone. I'm ready. I'm there. Well, Hannah does a better job of communicating to me that she's going to stay late than I do to her. So what happens a lot of times is one of us will stay late, and usually this is me. I, I, I get into the zone on something, and I, I'm, I'm coming home. I'm like, Hannah, I'll be home. Don't, don't worry. I'll be home on time. I promise. And, and what will happen is I'll get, I'll get my work done. I'll do all this stuff. I'll have stayed late, and I'll be driving home, and it's literally I'm down the street from our house, and Hannah calls, and she's like, hey, where are you at? Like, you just stay late, or like, what's going I was like, I'm literally pulling in the driveway, and it never fails. Hannah never calls me when I'm not drive in the driveway. Like, Hannah has never once called me when I'm not in the driveway, basically. It's, it's really, really funny, but open communication would solve that. She, if I said, hey, I'm staying late, I'm working on this, I'll text you when I leave, and then I text her when I leave, she's never going to be guessing when I'm getting home. And this is what I kind of think like prayer is like sometimes. When we don't check in, we aren't up to date with what God's doing. We don't know what his plans are. And it's a little bit flipped of my example, right? But like when we don't check in with God, when we don't hear from God, we aren't up to date on what he's doing. And then we're like, God, where are you? And he's like, I've been waiting. I've been waiting right here. I've been, had my ear ready to listen this whole time, but you haven't been here. You haven't been speaking to me. You haven't been talking. You haven't been communicating with me. How can you expect to know what I want if you aren't listening? That's what, that's what it, it's so cool about prayer is that God is always ready and waiting to hear our prayers and our petitions. When we have a need, he's ready and able to listen. When we have a big decision coming up, we can pray and ask God, hey God, what should I do? Where, sh where are you leading me? Where should I go? And guess what? If we listen, I believe God actually answers. I believe God actually answers us. There's so many times in our lives where we can pray to God for a number of different things. And he's there to hear our prayers. Now, I want to look at a specific prayer of Jesus because I think looking at like Jesus praying is, is a good way to talk about prayer, right? He, he, he's probably the master of it. If we believe he is God incarnate, I'm assuming his example's good, okay? So in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's this, it's, in, one, in one translation, it's this grove called Gethsemane. And basically, the disciples have all gone here, minus Judas, because He's about to backstab Jesus. 
and he's got all this stuff. We've got all this backstory of like people plotting to murder Jesus and all this stuff going on. And Jesus goes to this garden and he's there with his disciples and he's like, hey guys, you stay here, stay guard, stay watch, stay watch, not guard, because that would give the wrong impression to, to Peter, who was later going to guard uh, in a bad way. But he, we stay here and I'm going to go a little further and I'm going to pray. And so this is, what the, this is what the scriptures say in Matthew. It says, we went on a little farther, or he went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. I want your will to be done, not mine. He's saying, God, I know suffering's coming my way. I know it. There's been prophecies about it for thousands of years. I know suffering's coming. I know I'm about to die. But if you can take it from me, that would be great. But if I need to be publicly executed by the Romans, I'm good with that too. Not my will, but yours be done. Could you imagine praying that prayer? He knows what's about to come. He knows the consequence of God not taking the cup of suffering from him. Saying, God, if you could make this a little bit easier on me, that'd be awesome. But if you can't, no worries, I got you. Could you imagine a prayer life that looked like that? I know that's like two sentences, but sometimes we make a big deal about quantity rather than quality. Could you imagine a prayer life that said, God, I know the situation sucks. I know it's hard. But if you don't want to resolve it, I'm cool with it. Just, I'll do what you want. I'll be there in the midst of it. Just like we sang earlier, in the midst of suffering, we sing, rejoice. That's actually what the verse before Never Stop Praying says. It says rejoice always. It's like Paul's exit greeting to the Thessalonians at the end of his letter. He's like, never, never, um, always rejoice, never stop praying. It's awesome. And then here's what happens. It says, then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. One of the things that is so important about prayer is that when we talk to God, we're paying more attention to him than the things that tempt us to do wrong. When you're paying attention to your spouse, when you're paying attention to your significant other, when you're paying attention to your family, you're keeping the more important things in front of you, and you don't get distracted. We have to keep the most important thing in front of us, in full view. That's what continual prayer does. It says, God, I know you're there. I know you're with me. I know you're right beside me constantly, constantly, constantly. 
And when we understand that, we're walking in what he wants us to do, and temptation tends to fall away by the wayside. Peter should have paid really close attention to this. He should have paid so close attention. Just watch and pray with me for a few hours because guess what he does in like an hour? He chops off a dude's ear. He sees people coming to arrest Jesus and he takes up swords because he thinks that's the kind of revolution that Jesus starts. That he starts this war. But he was wrong. The Messiah didn't come with swords. That's what the zealots wanted. When you, when, you, when you see there's like a particular group that were called zealots and they wanted to overthrow the Roman government. And these zealots, we, Jesus had even had a disciple that was Simon the Zealot. He was literally a revolutionary that was trying to throw, overthrow the Roman government. And when this thing happened, when these people came to arrest Jesus to put him to death, Peter pulls out his sword and cuts off this guy's ear. And you know what that was? That was him giving in to temptation. Because if Jesus really is God, he doesn't need anyone to overthrow the Roman government for him to be in charge. Jesus knew what his, his course was. He knew what his plan was. He wasn't going to get distracted. But that's because he spent time with the Father. He had spent time talking to God. He had spent time focusing in on what his goal was. And that was to go to the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. To say, hey, I'm the God who bleeds. I'm not like anybody else. Then we're going we're gonna to start transitioning into our, our second value. And I'm going to read to you the beginning of Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, which is about 50 days after Passover, which is when Jesus ends up dying. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now this is really cool because up until this point in the Old Testament, there's been a bunch of people that have had the Spirit of God come upon them. But it's been selective, it's been in moments, it's been at times. It's not pouring out his spirit upon everyone. So this is, there's been times where the prophets had the spirit of God on them. And they had, they had times where people had that spirit of God, the essence, the embodiment of who the character of God is come upon them. And they did mighty things. But this, this is different. Because this is the beginning of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on all men. We filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability, which that was really convenient because there were a bunch of people from a bunch of different places in Jerusalem at the time for the festival of Pentecost, and they were able to communicate the message of Jesus to each and every one of them. God has a purpose and a plan for every crazy, wonderful thing he does. 
That was the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit was poured out and empowered them to do something to help communicate the gospel, to help meet a need. So this is our second value for today. We value a spirit-empowered life. We're spirit-empowered. And here's what that, that means. We want all people to experience God's gift, which he enables us, which enables us to do all he wants us to do. We want all people to experience God's gift, which enables us to do all he wants us to do. So this gift, that is the gift of the Holy Spirit that we see in Acts 2, at the beginning of Acts 2, that's poured out upon the believers as they're meeting in one place. You know what's interesting? Continual prayer leads to spirit-empowered. When we draw close to God, he draws close to us. When we are intentional about pursuing a closeness in our relationship with God, he pursues us too. He's not a God who is distant. He's a God that longs to be close. So, you might be thinking, okay, Spirit-empowered, Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, so is this just like a, a New Testament thing? Was it just a like post-Jesus thing? Well, it's not. We believe the Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity, and that's too big of a conversation to explain this morning, but... I want to look, when I think of Spirit-empowered, this was the first section of Scripture that came to my mind, and it's Exodus 35. How many of you would have guessed that? When I was like, we're talking about the Holy Spirit? Exodus 35. No? Well, here's what it says. This, this is when they're building the tabernacle. Then Moses told the people of Israel, the Lord has specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of her, of the tribe of Judah. The Lord has filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God, with the Holy Spirit, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and carving wood. He is a master at every craft, and the Lord has given both him and Aholiab, son of Ashima, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach their skills as to others. The Lord has given them special skills as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet thread of fine linen cloth and weavers. They excel as craftsmen as, and as designers." How many of you would have thought an excellent craftsman would be what the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be? Or have we segmented the Holy Spirit into a spiritual life and then he doesn't affect the rest of our life? The Holy Spirit empowers your life. When we are followers of Jesus, there is no segmentation there is no spiritual and non-spiritual. There is. What this verse is saying, and let me, let me translate it into modern context for you. The Spirit of God came upon him to be a nurse. 
The Spirit of God came upon her to be a social worker. The Spirit of God came upon him to computer program. The Spirit of God came upon him to be a pastor. The Spirit of God came upon her to be a pharmacist. The Spirit of God came upon him to be a father, a husband, a spouse. The Spirit of God came upon her to be a mother, a wife. The Spirit of God came upon him to be a son. And the Spirit of God came upon her to be a daughter. The Spirit of God comes upon us to empower our life, to be all that God created us to be. Bezalel was not a prophet. He was a master craftsman. And the Spirit of God was as with him as was with Elijah. The Spirit of God is is here to empower us to do the work that God's called you to do. Not all of us are called to what we we think of as spiritual occupations. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with those occupations. I'm in one. But there's there's nothing wrong with it. But he's also empowered each and every one of us to be a master at whatever you do. The scriptures tell us that whatever you do, do it to the fullness of your ability as if you're doing it for God himself. Let the spirit of God come upon you to do every little thing that he's called you to do. And it doesn't have to be just the things that we think of as spiritual. And here's what that life produces at the end of Acts chapter 2. And it's something that we've been reading throughout this vision series. But the end of Acts chapter 2, it says this, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This is what the spirit-empowered life looks like. It looks like owning who God created you to be, pursuing him until he pours his spirit upon you. That you're so close to God that you can't help but hear his voice leading and guiding you. But then there's so much practical to it, right? They ate together. If anybody had a need, they gave. So that need was no more. They did it with joy and gladness and generosity. This is what the church should look like.
And as we're talking about the vision of what our church should look like, these verses, verses 42 to 47 in Acts chapter 2 should be the outline of what we look like as a church. This is what spirit-empowered looks like. Did you know spirit-empowered looks like sharing meals in your home? Did you know that? Did you know spirit-empowered means meeting the practical needs of your neighbors around you? The people in your communities? That's why it's so important that we do things like Speed the Light and Convoy of Hope and that we volunteer at the rescue mission. We, we, we have to do those things. Otherwise, we're sinful people not doing what God has told us to do. We have to be like this if we want to look like Jesus. And I don't know about you, but every time I read the, the Gospels, and I see Jesus, I think to myself, how could I not want to follow that guy? How could I not want to? How can, how can I read the stories of all the beautiful things he does and not long for it? In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about justice. That's going to be one of our values. And... I'm stoked. I'm fired up. I'm so ready for this. But that's what I see when I read the story of Jesus. He's a man that's not okay with the status quo. He's not okay with how things are. The world today is not good enough. And there's a large portion of the blame that should fall on us, the church. Because if we lived this out, if we lived this out, so many of the practical needs in our world would be gone. That's what spirit-empowered looked like. Do you remember when Pastor Steve came in, I, it was a while ago, and he talked about what it looked like if we all tithed. And this is going to sound like I'm going in a rabbit trail, but it's not. When we all tithe, that if the church, every regular attender in, in, in the United States tithed, we could eradicate the need for food around the world, we could end illiteracy. We could do so many wonderful things in the world if we live this, this spirit-empowered life. If we draw so close to God, if we draw so close to God that every decision we ever make is informed by who He is, we could end things in this world that never should have began. But you know what else? We could end spiritual poverty. We could end this thing where people didn't know about Jesus, the bringer of all these good things. That's who God has called us to be as a church to live this life of nearness to God that he informs everything that we do, 
that nothing is out of selfish desire, but everything is out of generosity. That we would give our lives everything that we are. To see both the practical and spiritual needs of the world met. That's what God's calling us to, and he's been calling us to for 2,000 years. We just haven't listened well enough. 